0: Hi.
1: Hello. How are you?
2: Good. How are you?
1: I'm
0: all right. Good. Are
2: you, how are you I'm, coping
0: during lockdown? Um. Yeah. Not too bad. Um, I think it was kind of the right time to to have a bit of a week break from like. Like really, just from Zoom stuff, I think was how that break kind of ended up working. Um, so that was kind of nice, just to not have so much screen time.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: think came at the right time. Yeah. And you?
1: Um. Yeah, I've been
0: alright.
2: Have my days where you know I get frustrated, but um, yeah, it worked out really good timing because I got my first AstraZeneca injection, and then um. I started feeling a bit off and that Thursday night we went into lockdown so I didn't have mm. to go to work next day. Mm. But it worked out good for me. And yeah, the week off, um, I've had three assignments all due so mm-hmm. it's given me great time to work on that.
0: Mm. That's good. Yeah. A lot of people have also said that their courses have set their assignments to be due in that week or after that week.
3: Yeah.
0: So that's kind of I suppose most of a lot of people were doing by the sounds of it. Yeah, Mm. Yeah, um, I had to sort of, I think it became more of a reality to me, the nature of this lockdown this week, because this time around for both Wonpons and Burwood, I'd created a folder to have a Zoom link that would just be ongoing for the rest of the year rather than keep making announcements all the time on the board. And that's when it really was just like, that's just kind of how it is really, isn't it? I don't really, I've kind of like not thinking about, oh, next week, I can't wait till I
3: yeah.
0: get to do something. It's sort of like, we'll see kind of like yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's different, I think.
3: It's funny, on that, one of my workmates just posted a photo that she's finally come to terms with the fact we're not going back next Thursday by going and picking up her office chair from work. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And it's funny
0: because it takes those moments to make it really real. You're like,
3: no, I'm not going to do it. It's only a week. I don't need the office chair.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Otherwise, you just sort of go along and you just da-da-da and then it's like, "Mm, well, that's how I really do think about it, don't I?
3: Yeah yeah self-preservation
0: yeah yeah i'm just taking lots of breaks and t- watching trashy tv in between marking and reading and
3: there's just some good trash out there at the moment though yeah there
0: is actually i've just been like obviously you need to kind of be set limitations on it um like i'm going to watch one episode but just i've been doing like as a matter of recourse just be like okay finish that chapter reading that just watching So That's what I need to do right now. So yeah, we, we all are doing similar things to
1: take care of ourselves.
0: Give it another minute or two.
3: Oh, that sounds good. I need
0: some new ideas for
3: shows as well. Has anyone seen um the white lighters?
0: No, I, that looks interesting. Have you watched it?
3: Yeah, I, I do not watch one episode at a time. I watch the whole thing. Uh-huh. A time,
0: that looks um, interesting.
3: It's good because the characters are like really deplorable mm. human beings, but they're all sort mm-hmm. of thrust together and they're mm. so like white and privileged but all this stuff's happening to them and it's it's really, it's great.
0: That sounds fun.
3: Yeah, it's What, what fun.
0: streaming service
3: is that on? Claire, is it binge? What did you see it? No. no, what one was that? White Lotus. White Lotus. No, I haven't watched that one. I was replying to Caitlin. Mm. Okay, I think it might be Binge. Okay. I'll, have a look I'll lose that. track of which one is which.
0: Yeah, I've got a few now. That might be worth just getting a free trial just to quickly watch that. Yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> How are you going, Colin? You're kind of the like OG of lockdown. Sort
2: of <laughs> <way>. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's okay. I mean, nothing's changed other than I'm back working, you know, uh-huh. eight hours a day. So
3: uh-huh. um,
2: summer holidays finally over, and it's the start of our school year.
3: So uh-huh. Kim knows what the start of a school year is like. <laughs> yeah, and it's where you yeah. start counting down the weeks till the end, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, already. <laughs> <laughs> but you look very fancy. Um, You've got a tie on. Uh-huh. The rest of it's Oh is yeah. Yeah, doing no. Fancy
0: I, uh, mm-hmm. I'm working. <laughs> so
2: yeah, just before this, I uh, I had a a meeting with the team and stuff. So
0: mm-hmm.
2: I had them yesterday as well. and I'm working and on Zoom calls all the time, and it's almost like my team and I work in Zoom. So you'll be sitting here working, and Zoom will just be on the whole time. So um, yeah, it's a bit oof. But it allows for, like, the team dynamic to still exist in the same way that, you know, you look Mm -hmm. up from your your screen and say, can you send me that, Mm
3: -hmm. you know,
2: whatever? Can you send me that table, that Excel spreadsheet, whatever? Mm -hmm. So you can't pick your nose, but, you know, Mm -hmm. you can communicate with your team kind of Mm -hmm. in a more personable way as much as you can. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's day 534 for me, and I'm just... You you guys were talking about how, you know, you came to terms with like, oh, well, I'm picking up my office chair and going home. I didn't realise when I was collecting all my stuff from my office in March of 2020 that I'd still be here. Mm. So, yeah. Um, But inshallah, I'm getting allowed a vaccine in the next week or so. So, so mm. hopefully, Exciting. yeah, hopefully I get vaccinated and then I can start, you know, going outside of my path.
0: Mm. <laughs> That's going to be hectic um, when you do that. Be like,
1: play the Oh, Caves, yeah.
2: I no, exactly. And um, thanks, Kim. I, I'm kind of, my wife's like, you could have. Become agoraphobic in a sense uh-huh. because I'm not looking forward to leaving the house mm. in a you know, in a strange way because I'm, until I'm like fully vaccinated I mm. won't just go out um, and it's because of the rampant individualisms that I've seen you know this week was um, Ukrainian Independence was on Tuesday and there was a huge parade in the city. And I see, you know, people on Instagram and like news, there's hardly any masks there. But mm. the the um, immunization rate here is less than 20%. Um, you know, so it's not like there's a large amount of people immunized, but they just don't care. Um, mm. And it's distrusted. There's so many reasons that mm. I anthropology has really made clear to me um, of Distrust for government and mm. biopower bio and necropower and all of these things that um, really come into play as why Ukraine suffered as much as it has. Mm. Um, but yeah, I could talk about that for mm. for hours. Mm.
0: <laughs> That's good that you're getting a vaccine, and that might also hopefully <laughs> it's your no, hopefully. yeah, yeah. fingers crossed yeah. yeah. I tried to book in the other day and the Victorian website like was just not functional. So I feel the same way. Hopefully something will happen. Yeah, well, that's good. I,
2: I'm i not in line because I'm not an essential worker because I yeah, can work at home and I'm a temporary resident. Mm. So they're like, oh, if you're a permanent resident, you can get one, but I'm only temporary citizen or whatever, which is interesting.
0: Mm. That's good that you're finally they've said something then so that's good okay so on that note we can talk a little bit about anthropology I suppose um and this week's readings. Um, so just to let you know as I, I said last seminar and then I made an announcement about it was to um look at the Descala reading which is required for this week but then also think about the con reading which um, got left out last time so I'm going to look at both of those readings this time around and what I'm gonna what uh, we're gonna have a look at is how this week's required reading from Descala it focuses on uh, his ontological schema and um, particularly animism and naturalism. So that we're going to use that to talk more about his schema and those two ontologies, how it works, how we feel about it and whatnot. And I'm going to use, I'm going to use Con's reading and state from the outset that the runer more or less conform to an animistic ontology, so I'm going to use that reading as a way to explore that ontology and all of the details that Con gives, I'm going to try and use that as a means for us to think about how an animistic ontology works. So that's the kind of outline. But so before I do that and we get stuck into it, I just wanted to quickly revisit uh, the nature-culture dichotomy and how we have come to understand it, just as a recap. Uh, so I wanna, I'm going to try and uh, throw it open to just to quickly revisit what, how we understand it. And I'm going to do that by trying to cram all of the kind of concepts that un- inform the nature-culture dichotomy together in a question, which is to say, so... Nature and culture is a categorising pair and they operate as a substance dualism through the principle of mutual exclusivity. So what does that mean and how do we understand that? How does that work?
3: Is that just talking about how you, can't be, you can only be one or the other, you can't be both? you can fit in nature or culture which still I still can't get my head around that really and when I read that Jessica one I was like because he questions it you know if we've if they're constantly going on about this nature culture dichotomy then where's where's man in that where's human beings in that are we in nature or in culture
0: yeah that's good so just to repeat it for you there Cass I said Nature and Cultures operates as a categorising pair, and it's, it's one instance of a substance dualism that operates under the principle of mutual exclusivity. So, Kim, you're right. So mutually exclusive means those two pairs shouldn't uh, interact. They're separate. That's correct. And But you're right, though, because really... What happens in that is that humans are a paradox um, uh, they're seen to be in both camps, so that's that that fact says that this dichotomy has some problems, so that would be one of the instances yeah Carolyn.
2: I think the um the dichotomy speaks to the fact that. While uh, humans can belong to both nature and culture, culture is only human in this sense of dualistic um, ontology, like naturalism. Um, so while we might straddle that border, no, one, no other being does. Um, so culture is purely human and not shared by anything else. And that's why naturalism stands out from animalism or totalism or um, because there is no there's no mixing and that's that is in its essence what makes it dualistic and non um, non contradictory um, versus the newer people's belief that spirits are the same and and can be two of the same and birds are are the same so um to be more concise it means that we can only be one thing, but at the same time, the aspect of us being an animal and having culture is, is dualistic in the sense that we only belong to culture, culture only belongs to us, and that's it.
0: Yep. So that's a good example. Uh, so culture is the realm of the human, and it's, it's an immaterial quality that we have consciousness. Yeah, Cass.
1: Um, I remember in I think it was one of the readings they were saying that like um they made that point of that only humans can have culture because it's like when an animal does something that like if a human did it you would attribute like intention and like oh it's cultural you know like beavers making dams they can't they because of this dualism. You can't say, oh, the beaver learnt somewhere to make a dam and now it teaches all the other beavers to create a home like this. You have to be like, oh, no, 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 there's this complicated genetic instinctual automatic drive. And so there's like he made the point of how many like fucking mental gymnastics we have to do to keep this dualism logical when it would actually be so much easier to be like, oh, the dolphin enjoys doing flips or the whales do that because it feels good and they like it and their communication has actual meaning rather than just I'm horny, you know, like it's like there's actual, it's because we in the West are like, no, there will be dualism. It's, it's like scientists get shot for saying stuff like that. It's like, no, that's what anthropocentrism, you know, I just, it just reminded me of that.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, that's, you summed that up really well by putting it like that. And that's sort of what we were doing in the last seminar. So you're right. So it, the existence of the nature culture dualism is not without contestation. So that's what hopefully we're going to do now in a moment. That uh, And it's a particular orientation to framing the world. And like Cass says, where it doesn't quite seem to work, well, when you're situated within it, you have a sort of stake in sort of upholding it in some respect and trying to do all these maneuvers to kind of, well, what's going on here? How do we make it fit? Or, and not even consciously doing that, I mean, committed to upholding it, just being so encased in, in that mode of thinking that that's what you end up sort of doing. So uh, let's have a bit of a look now. I think it's a good segue into... Uh, have to to consider this, uh, the reading. So let's have a look at Descalars' ontologies, obviously animism and naturalism. So I just want to first open it up to everybody. In the lecture I talked about that the two sort of key uh, tenets of Descalars' uh, schema is this idea of intentionality and exterior, uh, exteriority, physicality. So how do we feel about these terms? Um, do, we, do you get a sense of what they mean? And do you think they're useful? Because this, he is making a pretty big claim here. He's saying that we can think about, we can have an approach towards just about everybody that uh, has this kind of element in it a sense of interiority and a sense of exteriority. So just again, how do we understand and feel about those terms and do you think that's a it's, it's a helpful approach, a starting point? Yeah, Colin
2: Yeah, um so on page uh 150 of the reading, um this is where he Descala defines what interiority and physicality or exteriority Uh, means to him in in this sense Um, and he likens that to um, the process of identification so this is something that he says anthropologists so far have sorry I just moved this so I stopped having to minimize it. Anthropologists so far have run into you know very different ontologies and cosmologies but um, something that is always present within these ontologies and cosmologies is this theory of interiority and exteriority. And the definition of these interior and exterior um, are associated with soul, mind, consciousness, intentionality, subjectivity, blah, blah, blah. And then the physical aspects of life, um, form, substance, physiological, perceptual, sensory, motor. Um, But then he goes to caution and say that it's not the same as we in the West think of the separation between body and mind because we separate those things within, it's still within the bounds of our physical body where in some ontologies and cosmologies, ontologies um, that interiority is similar uh, or, or shared with other beings. Um, which means that they fall into that ontological belief of being the same, or a person, if you could argue that. Um, and on page 150, uh, he goes on and says that humans can identify objects and do so by recognising the differences and similarities between them. Um, that could be the in and the out um, And these differences and similarities differ from culture to culture, and that's, like, the important part. Um, Yeah, and I think that, that really made sense to me. You know, it's general in the sense that it can apply everywhere, and I think that's something that these other ontologies, you know, the four that Cescola points out, the reason they clash is because they aren't general enough to have, the range of human understanding applied to them. Um, and it really kind of helped me contextualize all of the other readings that we've we've um, read during this unit, because it was like, oh, if you just remove this Western, which I tried to do. I tried to just accept ontologies existed, and it was ethnocentric for me to apply. But if you just apply this type of understanding, it can help you see how not everyone classifies the world in the same linearian classificatory sense. And it actually comes down to humans in in a way sensing and and feeling similarities and dissimilarities between beings.
0: That's good. So you think that there is some value in that sense of interiority and exteriority and I think yeah. what you've noted is that uh, it is a little bit um, open to interpretation and that's that's per- on purpose, so that's good. How do other people feel about that? Does, does it make sense to think in these terms, interiority and exteriority, do people kind
1: of clear how that would work and how how else do we think about it? yeah.
3: I found that it actually, because I'm, I'm not going to lie, when I was reading that um, paper, there was a lot of words in there that I was like, I don't know what you are. I had a dictionary.com open for, and I don't know if that's just a combination of me not knowing them and brain fog, but just being able to grasp on that two very like simple ideas that aren't necessarily just anthropological ideas, that you've got your outer self and you've got your inner self, you know, and lots of, different customs and ways of talking talk about that you know so once I once I got my head around that bit then it did make it easier to actually understand the rest of the article which was good
0: that's great because that's why I want to just be sort of careful with it because really what I would say is that beyond nature and culture, this book that this ideas are derived from really is all pretty much in the sphere of philosophy as well. It's an anthropological philosophy because he's done his own fieldwork amongst the and then now he's trying to move into creating a bigger schema. So it, it is quite abstract and there's lots of different terms there. So I think it's important to kind of work through them systematically, so um, I think that that's probably a feeling that a lot of people have felt Kim are taking on this reading. So um, the polls so yeah the the critical point I think is that these two ideas, interiority and exteriority, are, are meant to be broad enough to encompass many different ways that you might approach this idea. For example, we might come to this idea and say, ah, oh, interiority, that's consciousness. And that's right. For someone else, they'd come, oh, that interiority speaks to the idea of a soul or that immaterial thing. And that's correct too. So it's meant to kind of encompass those kind of immaterial kind of things. And then externality, yep, your body, your physical form, that outward um, uh, kind of appearance. So that is how it's sort of meant to operate. The other thing I'll just pick up on is just, just about everyone else in the seminar said to me, well, isn't this a bit strange? Descala wants to think, of, stop thinking about the nature culture dichotomy and dualisms, but isn't this a sort of dualism as well? Isn't this engaging in that same sort of mode of thinking? And um, So my answer to that is that yes, it does have a little bit of resonance with um, a sense of dualism, but it doesn't operate on the idea of mutual exclusivity. In this schema, you have instances where these types of things, uh, these two interiority and exteriority overlap and line up. So for example, in the instance of totemism, where the exterior and the interior are continuous, like in the instances of Aboriginal Australians. So we talked about the idea of consubstantiality. So that same type of matter makes up the world, and so does the kind of immaterial consciousnesses of the same thing. So in that instance, that's not so much a dualism, right? That's not a mutually exclusive instance. You could all, You could then start to think about monism. So, yes, interiority and exteriority reflects a sense of dualism, but it doesn't, I wouldn't argue, I wouldn't say that it is a mutually exclusive one. So, therefore, I don't think that Descala has fallen into that same trap. So, I'll just put that out there. So, let's work uh, in... Going into the paper now, so thinking about animism, uh, animism here across pages 151 and 152, sees some continuity between interiorities and a discontinuity between exteriorities. So I just want to revisit the uh, example of O and maybe just rehash something that I visited, talked about in the lecture. So. The Rung from the central highlands of Vietnam, they're an instance of an animistic society, we can say. And so in this case, there I talked about the idea of anthropomorphism, which is to ascribe human-like traits to a non-human. So in the instance of O, this is happening. She's sort of saying that this, I'm going to treat this tiger, we're entering into a relationship of father to daughter. You know, it's a kind of anthropomorphizing. Likewise, we can also think about how sometimes we anthropomorphize, say, our pets. Now this is like my child, it's like a sibling or whatnot. But as I said in the lecture, this might have some different connotations, this type of anthropomorphism. If we think about O, oh, an in instance of O oh, in this tiger as an instance of animism, what makes this relationship different to the one that we might think about with our pet? If we're in the in the ontology of naturalism, what define, what sets these two apart? I feel oh. like when we talk oh,
1: about yeah. our, oh sorry, no, you go. Yeah. Um, I feel like when we talk about our pets, it's like yeah it's my baby it's my child but it's like for one like pets are known to be kind of at that toddler brain age anyway so it's kind of a like well yeah they do act like toddlers um but it's also there's an awareness of like they're not actually a human child um whereas this it was almost like um Like when I read that, the way I see it is like the spirit of the tiger, it's like the spirit or the soul that's inhabiting the tiger was able to communicate with her on a same, that same kind, I guess, not a different, it's the same kind. We have the same kind of soul. And so the soul and the tiger recognised and went, okay, I'm going to look out for you. And there was able on that dream level, like they talk about, indigenous like the dreaming that there's there's this level that if we connect there all beings connect on this consciousness level and so and it's also different in that like for the tiger to say you're going to be my kid I'm going to look out for you and to drop food off and that kind of thing that's an inverse usually it's the humans looking after the animals it's not often that it's animals looking after humans and the times when it is it's usually like severely abandoned children that animals have taken in. That's generally, or and like dolphins, dolphins and whales have been known and killer whales and stuff have been known to help humans hunt or like humans stranded at sea, like get them to shore. But it's not like, it's not common, that kind of relationship. Yeah.
0: No, that, I think you've kind of summed that up quite neatly there. So in this instance, you're right. There's a sense that there's a continuity between interiorities um, between O and the tiger. They have a same sense of consciousness or so. And that is continuous in the animistic perspective. So that sets this type of relation, the nature of the relationship is the same as the one we might share with our dog, which is one of nurture. But there, when it, there's a continuity of interiorities, it is of a different type than the one that we might share with our pet now many of us might argue well you could make an argument and lay it out well um here's why i think they really are like my family but from the instance of naturalism there's a sense that that we don't share the same consciousness to make to 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 drive that point home you then maybe take a comparison with your relationship with your biological daughter and you would then say, well, this is very different, isn't it? Because of this, this and this. You don't treat your dog like this, right? That says to me that there's a different understanding of the nature of your interiorities. So that's how you'd probably argue for that. Do you want to add something to that, Colin? Um,
2: Not really, Cass pretty much said what I was going to say um, and then you just cleared it up but yeah I think the biggest difference for me from the naturalist point of view was yes um, that animal we care for it we nurture for it but it's still an animal that does not share any we're not similar in any way but then in the animalist uh, did I say that right animist um ontology that that shared there is that shared connection um and it's the only difference is the physicality of of them. They have the same internals as us, same drive, the same needs wants thoughts um but the physicality is the only difference which allows you to connect more deeply on a personal or emotional level um and that was like the real big difference where. You don't feel the same for a dog in the naturalism sense.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah.
0: that's great. And so this is a good point, I think, now to think about the con reading because I think a lot of these elements are really laid out in quite good ethnographic detail. And it's interesting because the runa have pet dogs like we do. But there's a lot more going on here, really. Uh, and so let's look at that. So the paper, the con reading, looks focuses on dreaming and makes a real point of this, this being significant amongst the Bruner because they acknowledge that dogs dream, fine, and so do we. We acknowledge that dogs dream, but there's something a lot more happening here, and Cass also looked at brought up the notion of dreaming as important. Um, and although we're although I want to explore this through the con paper, uh, the tiger in the O paper came to O in a dream. So this is of some significance, right? What is it that then is significant about dreaming uh, in the instance of the runa? Why is it the focus of this paper? And what what is going on here that makes it
1: uh, significant for the runa? Um, I'll
2: be honest, I haven't read the Runa paper recently, so it's a little bit foggy um
1: <laughs>
2: um but I think going back to the interiority, dreaming is important, the same reason the tiger one is is because it takes place on the interior in in a sense it's on the mindscape, and so that's why dreaming becomes so important in these ontologies because it is a way that perhaps you can't communicate otherwise uh, unless it's through that interiority which then speaks to the fact that um, they have this shared interiority because that's the way that they connect so instead of physically and sh- and embodying that physical relationship as you do with other humans you have to do it on in, in- on an interior uh, plane and that's why dreaming is so important to these people and certain ontologies and cosmologies.
3: Yeah,
0: I think that's a, that's on the money there. Kath?
1: I thought it was more that like dreaming was how they connect to the spirit world, that the spirits of the forest, that they couldn't, um, necessarily communicate directly with them in waking life, but in dreaming, you could connect with like what's really going on Um, and then you could bring that into the the physical. So it was like almost this idea that when you go to sleep, that's the real life, that the dream life is the real life. And once it's been, again, really similar to Indigenous concepts of the dreaming, that what happens in the dreaming, it has to have been, it has to exist there before it exists here in the physical. And so yeah. when dogs dream, that's why they're like, hold on, how come, how come the dog didn't die in the dreams? How come it gave me, how, how did it not see that coming? Yep,
0: yeah, that's right. So I think that does articulate with what katham was saying. So when you're talking about souls cast, that would kind of fit into the idea of interiority, in, according to Descala. So, and you're right, I think you're making another interesting point. And in Beyond Nature and Culture, Desk allows to go to great length to separate out this idea of totemism from animism, because it does sort of overlap in particular ways um, in respect to the dreaming of Indigenous people. But yeah, that, that dreamscape, or, or I think that's a good, I uh, can't help but describe it like that, is, is important, because if you think about the idea that you have continuous interiorities, between yourself and non-humans, then it's it's not hard to go, well, okay, if you look at dreaming, well, my body's not doing anything, I'm asleep. There's nothing going on in my exterior. It's all happening at the level of interiority. So if I dream and I can see that dogs dream, well, then it's not far to then say that our interiorities, which are already the same, must be sort of sharing a space or
3: interacting.
0: Uh, that, that's definitely open to, to occur here. And likewise, I can interact with the dream beings that, that have the same sense of interiority. This is quite different. And if I, I think if you really wanna take this seriously, I think it, it's interesting to think that this could could be the case because you know, it's, you know how we sort of go, oh, my dog's having dreams, shall we chasing a rabbit or something? <laughs> well, maybe so, but maybe a lot of other things. You know, you're, because you are saying, well, our consciousness, my dreams have a completely different nature than my dogs because we have a different consciousness. Well, maybe not. It, it, you're, that worldview has really narrowed down. You probably would, and you wouldn't even think it's significant as much see how much the runa think it's significant. My dog's dreaming is just chasing a rabbit. Ha ha, look at him, he's running and barking. That's hilarious. Well, that's very, you'd say that's quite narrow compared to the kind of opening out the perspective that would think that we have shared the same sort of consciousness these dreams are significant. Kim?
3: Well, just on that, and what about if you've got a city dog like I do who's never seen a rabbit? You know, what are they chasing? A ball.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's right. I like that. So, um, yeah, I think this is a different perspective to, to think about and an interesting one at that, right? So uh, what I want to think about um, is, is that what's going on here again, I think i talked about as well, there's a difference in degree is happening here. A different degree in the nature of dreams and the nature of communication is what's critical here as well. Um, so to move on a little bit there, there's something else that gets revealed, uh, I think on page 13 of the con reading, is that, well, if dogs c- can interact with the um, uh, uh, interiority of other animals, then they must have an insight into how these interiorities are going to act in the real world, like you said, Cass. So there was that jaguar that took the dog and that caused a crisis for the runa because Mm -hmm. it's sort of like, well, why didn't they know that that was going to take place? Mm -hmm. So what also came about was that the runa could, could communicate with the dogs and they could sort of try to put themselves in the position, the perspective of the dog, but that was really quite risky. That was quite dangerous to do that. Now, you might recall back with the Yuka gear when they went to hunt the reindeer, they would take on the perspective of the reindeer, but that also had its own dangers. This, that kind of danger is being reflected again, I think, here in this instance. And he talks about this idea of cosmological autism. What... If you think about animism, what's happening here? Why is there a danger here? How might we think about an animist ontology in respect to this type of the nature of this
1: danger that we're discussing? yeah so i think it comes back
2: and um cole says specifically that he's talking about the multinational cosmos of state that tesla speaks about um and how because of this shared interiority i'm going to keep saying that wrong every time but because of this shared, it is possible for humans to become too much of what they're they're uh, they're emulating, and it's the same in the Yuk uh, Yukia people. They you can change into an elk. You can become an elk and not be able to come back to your human form. Uh, if you spend too long doing it, you know you could you could stay stuck in that um, in that form. And I kind of found it interesting. This is kind of off topic, but, you know, like there's myths from Europe that you, know, if you, like werewolves could get stark or, you know, if you stay in a thing like Harry Potter, for instance, if an animagus stays in that form for too long, they can become that that spirit, that animal, and lose that human element. Um, and that's kind of how I found I could contextualise this um Kind of fear that I saw was similar in both the Yukia and the uh, these people, the Runa. Yeah, so it doesn't really answer your question, but that's kind of what I was
0: thinking. No, I think that does answer the question. So, what's sort of happening here is that if you just come back to the idea of animism and say there's an interior a continuity between our interiorities, and there's what sets us apart is our exteriorities. Our physicalities is discontinuous. So if we share the same soul, same consciousness, soul, whatever you want to call it, interiority, and I go to take on the perspective of that animal, you have to be careful because that you could slip, you could lose your humanity. You slip into the animal because it's only our physicality that sets us apart. And that's, not of a huge significance when you think about what happens at the level of interiority so you're right this is what's being described amongst the runa you can you can try to communicate and take the perspective of the dog but you must be careful because you might not come back from that and likewise the the runa we talked about you can take on the 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 perspective of an animal but you want to keep something so that you can come back to your form so that's very different isn't it and that. I think elucidates some of those um, elements of animism here. And the idea of cosmological autism was another interesting one. Kim?
3: You said that people don't want to like prescribe to this animism because then we can't put ourselves as like the top of the food chain and, and as the superior one because with all the other dualisms, we're separated out because we've got consciousness and we can like organise things and all that sort of stuff. But if we say yes to this, then we're like, well, the inside bit is all the same.
0: Yeah, I think, um, I think definitely this schema is a very thorough way to say that the nature-culture dualism is of one way of thinking about something amongst many others. This ontology is certainly not concerned with making value judgments, one's better than the other, da-da-da. But I think it's very clever because it gives us a lot of other ways to think about these things uh, critically and say, wow, okay, well, here's our perspective on something, and there's so many others, and there's actually a practical schema here for you if you want to think through these other people, which is what I would say would set this apart from the other kind of bodies of literature I glossed over in the lecture and why I think it's... um, a good one to take up and think about. So I think that's definitely the implications of it, Kim. Call-
2: um, I, I'm i doing um, AFS-330, which is cybernetics, um, and about all of that. And I did a presentation on Yukwe, who talked about Descala's work. And he points out that Descala identified an ontological shift that happened after the Renaissance during the modernization of the west um and before that our the dominant ontology was um analogism and from my understanding that is where the this we are completely dissimilar on the interior and dissimilar on the physical um and so I found that kind of it's not really related to this but i just thought you know like kim said like at the moment naturalism is what we're thinking about how did we become how did we switch from anagolism to naturalism was it due to the modernization and scientific research that went in that i think descola kind of mentioned um later on in his in this article where he says you know we've now started to look at things differently because of this. Is that how that ontological shift took place and why it took place? And if it's possible for ours to, through this kind of understanding, become less dualistic in nature? I I don't know.
0: Um, So I think it's a good chance to talk about naturalism now because we we would need to do that. Um, But whether or not it was sort of analogistic before naturalism, I'm not sure about that, Um, you could probably make a case for it, but I think just hopefully, if you cast your mind back to some of the thinking in this course, that hopefully should give you some insight into how we could get, we've gotten here, because we've got uh, Dumont and Mauss who talks about Christianity and how personhood starts to emerge, and the primacy of the individual. And then on the other hand, we have Descartes, who's formulating his ideas of substance dualism. And these things are kind of all kind of emerging, you know, the idea of human, humanity and whatnot, that's all kind of coming to a head in the Renaissance and then most strongly in the Enlightenment where you then have the emergence of scientific thinking and whatnot. Um, Descala was alive in the 16th century, I believe. Um, So, um, yeah, these things all are are a confluence that then I think comes to inform this sense of naturalism and the nature-culture dichotomy. Um, It'd be hard to really give you a kind of time frame, because uh, Descola's book, Beyond Nature and Culture, was published in 2013, so I don't know how much work's gone beyond that. Yeah, and that's right, uh, uh, Cass, there was also talk of the Roman Empire and whatnot, so I think all these strands all start to kind of like then mer- merge together and get where we are now. Um, and so just on that, on the point of naturalism, so I just want to be clear here again, naturalism is based uh, from Descartes' perspective is a discontinu- discontinuity between interiorities and a continuity between <coughs> excuse me exteriorities. So just to enli- enliven this, on page 153, Descartes quotes Flaubert, who says, you know, around the 17th century natural scientist, we have to come to terms with the fact that we we Humans contain phosphorus just like matches do, so I want to just put that out there and say what do you how what are we to make of that? What does that mean How are we to understand
1: that um and and I'm obviously thinking about how naturalism operates in that instance like we're all biological in like at the be all and end all of things like our bodies are made of the same atoms and stardust and carbon and whatever else that everything else is made of and obviously there's that question with duality of does consciousness then come into the physical body or is consciousness something that emanates from the physical body that's a whole different discussion but I feel like the point he's trying to make is like from dust you came and to dust you'll return, <laughs> whatever that quote is.
0: That's a great quote. I think you should write that one down. That should definitely be going in an essay. I reckon that one quite neatly sums it up. Uh, but you're right though. That that is an expression of how naturalism thinks. If that's it. That's this thought is an evidence of the continuity between exteriorities, right? We are all made of the same matter. Yeah, we're all made of stars. This matter makes uh, all the elements in the periodic table. Uh, well, not all of them, but we share them. We. We're, we're, um, but it's so funny, though, I think that Flaubert would take something as banal as a match because in that, what he's very much keeping in focus is we. I don't have the same consciousness as a match. But isn't it funny it has phosphorus? So he's not saying, oh, I'm like a dog, because that would probably be too tricky. But, you know, I've, we're like a match. Or that lamp is it got gas, and I do too. Isn't that so strange? But um, certainly I've got more consciousness than a street lamp. So that gets very much held, uh, doesn't get challenged here. So that's definitely the naturalist perspective, you know, from dust to dust, ashes to ashes type of vibe um, there. So I think that's important to think about when we think about uh, naturalism here. And so obviously consciousness is very much in the realm of humans and we can see how in this mode of thinking the nature-culture dichotomy is very active and, you know, is basically a way of summing that up very neatly. Um, material, immaterial, consciousness, uh, non-conscious over there. But we acknowledge that... Um, I have atoms in the periodic table and everything like that. So that's a good way to think about, uh, an important way to think about naturalism. And towards the end, uh, uh concluding kind of makes a couple of critiques of naturalism. And I would say, well, because it's so dominant, you might as well. Um, he's not going to get stuck into animism because I don't, you know, may, I don't think there's, like credence for it but he's getting stuck into naturalism because it's in dominance and it's not self-reflexive people can't seem to think about I'm in part of this naturalist ontology they just go about applying it everywhere without recourse to thinking that it's one way of thinking and being in the world amongst the others I just am I'm, I'm I'm trapped in seeing it everywhere else so I think that's why he starts to get stuck into them a little bit um, one of the ones I just think is fun by the wayside is, is sort of get stuck into some of the professors at Stanford or whatever, saying like, um, "Well, if we all share the same consciousness, why are you so obsessed with primitive people and hunter gatherers? As you know, in, in terms of an evolutionary biology, oh, does that really say that, you, that the professor at Stanford has the same consciousness as this hunter gatherer society? No, it's suggesting that they don't. So." this is a bit inconsistent that was kind of funny, anyway so uh, I'll just actually uh, sum it up uh, on the concluding page Jessica Lert does say and he supports his comment obviously he says on page 156 cognitive differences between humans and non-human animals are indeed of degree not of kind so he's committed to that idea there which I is borne out very well in the con paper um, so that's that's one thing we can sort of think about as well. Great, so thanks everybody. Um, I'll just uh, again say, um, if you can, um, come to the seminars in the uh, next couple of weeks, because we're gonna be dealing with the set text and this will be the place to do it. And it'll really help you flesh out the ideas. It's quite a complex, it's a very engaging and rich text, but it has complexities. And this will help you to think about them and also set you up well for the long essay paper that's coming up a little bit later. And I've nearly finished marking all the assessments, so I'll be able to turn them around pretty quickly. And um, I'll also come in the next seminars just with an overview, having marked them all, how I think, um, and maybe give you some pointers, uh, which I thought the quality of the world were really good, but just as, as we move into the next assignment, um, generally, haven't failed anybody yet. No, it was, I was being pretty happy. I actually very happy, and especially considering the fact that not everyone could get out and take photos. So um, I'm not putting my hand on the hip and tutting. It'll be good. Mm. All right. Thanks so much. Can everybody. I mm. can
2: I just um, mm-hmm. ask a question of everyone mm-hmm. here? Um, that kind of comes from the Despiau reading. So while I was reading that, I was thinking about how cultures that don't prescribe to our ontology of naturalism would view AI, um, because AI is purely an interior system. It's about it's a consciousness of some kind. And I was just thinking, like, how would our ontology differ? Well, how would our views on AI differ if our ontology wasn't one of naturalism? Like, AI having a soul, not needing to be physically represented the same way that we say humans do. And Descartes says that in all ontologies, there is that dichotomy of um, physical and interior, but what happens when we remove that physicality is that still so would someone who believes the soul is similar and that's a person and they have that connection would they feel that same connection to ai that we don't feel in naturalism ontology so i just wanted to ask if anyone else thought about that or if i'm just reading too many papers. yeah like siri like is she alive is she does she exist is she a person our ontology says no, but with a,
1: another one, I don't know. I mean, we do tend to treat Siri like she's a person, <laughs> but just with limits. Yeah, but the that, same as a kid, are are those treat a kid with limits? Yeah, exactly. Limit, but, and they're still well, fully are those human. limits?
2: Are those limits the same limits that you put on like a pet? Because you don't see them as human or sharing the same level of consciousness. I don't know. I have been reading too much. Mm.
0: I, I think it's it's not one... I don't think that question, you can answer that very easily. And no. you'll note in the next seminar, what in the is next
1: really assessment,
0: end of the world, assessment the, one of the key words is Siri in the next assessment because yeah. it's not easy. Oh, yeah. I um, but I think the something that I did mention in the lecture is that it is very difficult to think in someone else's ontology when you're not in it. You can, yeah. It's quite tricky to do it. And so... But what I'd also say in the upcoming lecture, there's something very interesting that does speak to this um, about the way that in the 16th century, when the Spanish were colonising, a a test took place between, between the Indians and the Native Americans, a test to work out who were these people. And they both approached it from different but interesting angles. And so I'll leave that as a bit of a cliffhanger um, because to get you to come to lecture and I think it speaks to that question uh, in an interesting way. Can't
1: wait.
3: Stay tuned. (laughs) Stay tuned. Stay your lecturing. No, All my
1: cool mates, you are
0: you still watching? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you still here? All right. Okay. Thanks so yeah, much, everybody. Was good. good
1: to see,
0: hey, everyone, so. see you, everyone, guys. you Have a
1: good week. See
0: yeah. you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.